Okay, we're going to get into uh, the Word this morning and uh, continuing our series in the Gospel of John. And the title this week is The Light of the World. Jesus is the Light of the World. Now, you know that I really um, feel strongly about sharing things in context. So we just quickly recap what went before the passage we're going to look at this morning. You remember, the Jewish leaders brought a woman to Jesus who was caught in adultery. And they said, the law says she should be stoned. What do you say? And it was a trap. It was a setup. They wanted to catch Jesus because uh, he manifested the love of God. He taught the love of God and people were attracted to the love of God. But how does the love of God stack up against the law of God? That was the issue. They thought they had him in a corner. And yet Jesus responded in an incredible way. He just shone the full light of the law of God on this situation. He was the one that gave the law. And uh, he was able to show them that even the way they brought this woman to Jesus was not really in accordance with the law because they didn't bring the man who was caught in adultery with her. And uh, the more he spoke to them, the more they realized that they'd come into the, stepped into the light and yet wanted to stay in darkness. And um, then Jesus began to write in the ground and what he wrote, it was probably the commandments and one by one they were convicted of their sins and they left and Jesus alone was with the woman. And uh, she was in the light, but she was in the light of his salvation. He forgave her and released her from the bondage of uh, the dominion of sin in her life and set her free. It's just a beautiful thing. Now, it's quite interesting that in the very next verse that Jesus then says, I am the light of the world. So we see the context. So we go there now. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I came from and where I am going. So Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Now we're just going to spend a little bit of time on that this morning. Because in the Old Testament, God is seen as his people's light. Here's just one example of many. The psalmist said, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom I fear. You know, those two things can go together. If we look to God and look to Jesus in faith, the light can become our salvation. And the psalmist says, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Then, then we come to the New Testament. And we read there that also God is light. John the Apostle said, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. So when Jesus claimed to be the light of the world, once again, as we've seen continuously through John, he was claiming deity. He was claiming what God is. God is light and he is the light of the world. Now remember also that we, we saw that the, all this was happening around the Feast of Tabernacles. And light was an important symbol in the Feast of Tabernacles. 
because they, they commemorated uh, their journey through the wilderness. The tabernacles were like booths that they sent, set up in the wilderness, temporary dwellings. And of course, in the, in, in the wilderness, there were no street lamps, and, and yet God was their light to them. During the feast, various emblems and ceremonies reminded the people of the pillar of fire that gave light to Israel in the wilderness, guided them on their way. And those who followed it entered the promised land. Those who didn't perished. So it was a great object lesson. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and he that follows me will not abide in darkness. So here, Jesus took this important symbol and applied it to himself. I am the light of the world. Now, we, we already looked at this when we started this series in chapter 1. I don't know if you remember, we said that... Um, even before his incarnation, even before Jesus came into the world, he is the light that lights every man. He's the light of our conscience. Let me read that again to you. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Everyone has a conscience. Everyone. Everyone knows what is right and what is wrong. Instinctively, that's because Jesus gives that light to everyone before they come into the, or as they come into this world. Now, that conscience can only operate correctly when it's been informed correctly. So it has to be informed, and it's informed by the word of God, by the law of God. And that's why the Jews had the greater light, because they had the full revelation of God's word. And, and they knew more than anyone else what was right and what was wrong. But the Bible says also that the Gentiles have a measure of that light because God has written it upon our hearts. You know, we, we, we have a, a knowledge of the law, a knowledge of what's right and what's wrong, not the full revelation of it like the Jews had, but we have enough to know what's right and what's wrong. And here's the thing, whatever measure of light people have, no one has lived up to that measure of light. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And, and so how do people respond? Well, many tr try to extinguish the light because they've come short. Jesus said this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. We saw that with, with a, uh, what we saw last time when they brought that woman to Jesus. They brought this woman into the light. They came into the light themselves and they didn't realize that, wow, this light is brilliant and it's exposing everything that's wrong about us. And they backed away very fast and left the presence of Jesus because they, they wanted to stay with their evil deeds. Now... Jesus is not only the light of our conscience showing us the uh, difference between right and wrong and that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, but he's also the light of salvation. Like the, the psalmist says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. And so he came into the world as the light of salvation. Uh, twice in Isaiah we read that God covenanted to give Jesus as a light to the Gentiles. We are the Gentiles. He said in Isaiah 42 and verse 6, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. He's speaking to Jesus. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. So God made a covenant with Jesus. He's never made a covenant with us. 
He made a covenant with Jesus and when we receive Jesus, we're baptized into Christ and we are beneficiaries of that covenant. But God covenanted with Jesus to give him as a light to the Gentiles, to be salvation to the Gentiles. Again, he says in Isaiah 49 and verse 6, it is a sm- is it, sorry, it is too small a thing that you should be servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. That's a small thing. He says, I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. So we see that when God sent Jesus into the world, he sent him as the light of salvation. And uh, there's a verse, I think it's in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse, uh, I forget the the actual verse, but it says actually that um, Jesus, when when we see Jesus, we see the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is. The, the gospel is light to those in darkness. It's hope. It's shining people to Jesus that they might come to him for salvation. And when they do, Paul puts it this way. He says, uh, the God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give us the glory of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? So we've received the light of God when we we get saved. We receive light and and then we read this. Light shines against the backdrop of darkness. Jesus had just exposed the darkness of the Jewish leaders, but they wanted to remain in darkness because their deeds were evil. They chose the darkness to stay there rather than to come into the light. And that's how we once were. We were in darkness, but not now. Okay? It's important to know that. It says you were once darkness but now you are light in the lord walk as children of light so we're not a little bit of darkness and a little bit of light we are we were darkness but now we are light in the lord we've stepped into the light we've stepped into christ and we have the light of salvation and and in this day of grace all those who are in darkness may still come into the light just as it was in the days of jesus jesus said this while you have the light Believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Jesus was always reaching out, always reaching out right to the end. He was reaching out, calling people into salvation, into the light. And and we do the same today. While we are here on earth, while the church is here, the Holy Spirit is here, it is a day of salvation. It's a day of grace. People can come into the light. It's not a day of judgment. You know, people are thinking, oh, that's the judgment of God. When, when that happened to that nation, that's the judgment. No, this is not a day of judgment. There is a day of judgment coming, but this is not it. This is the day of salvation. This is the day of grace. And we are here as, a, as the light of the world to draw people to Jesus. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. That's the message. Now, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And, and, and so they, they criticized that. They said, well, that's what you say about yourself. That's your judgment, but your judgment is not true. Jesus said, no, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And if, yet if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. 
It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Now, the Pharisees said that because he testified of himself, his testimony could not be reliable. You know, they say, well, anyone can say I'm this, I'm that, uh, but your testimony is not reliable. So Jesus sent them right back to their law, the law of two or three witnesses. Referred once again to the law of the validity of testimony if it consisted of two or three witnesses. In a court of law, two or three witnesses would have upheld anything. And so Jesus brings forth the two witnesses. First of all, of course, is himself. Now Jesus could give testimony of himself because he knew where he came from. They didn't. See, Jesus, Jesus, yes, he came in the flesh, but he's God manifest, manifest in, in the flesh. We read that right from the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. Same was in the beginning with God. Nothing was made without him. Everything that was made was made because of him. Then the Word became flesh. They only saw the humanity of Jesus. He's saying, you don't know me. I, I know where I came from. And so I can testify myself. You can't testify me. You're limited in your understanding of me. But then also he says, and I judge righteously. They judged according to the flesh and were therefore incapable of judging correctly. He doesn't judge that way according to appearance, but according to truth and in harmony with his father. What does that mean? Well, you know, whenever you hear something, like you're hearing me now, you have to evaluate. You have to judge. You have to work through, is this what I'm saying true or not? And we do that all the time. Jesus never had to do that. He never had to work out what is true. and what He is the truth. Amen? I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he said, I don't judge according to appearance. I don't have to kind of look something and weigh it up and evaluate it as you do. I am the truth. So he was the first witness, but then, of course, what he did was in, also in harmony with his father. So the father bore witness to Jesus. We've already seen that in chapter 5, remember? There was two ways that the father bore witness to Jesus. And the first was in the works that Jesus did. Remember, even one of their own, a Pharisee, Nicodemus, came to Jesus. The first thing he said is, we know you are a teacher come from God. Why? Because no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Your works, you know, are the Father bearing witness to you. He opened the eyes of the blind. Nobody had ever done that before. In the Old Testament, the dumb could speak, the lame could walk. The deaf could hear. The lepers were cleansed. He turned the water into wine. He multiplied five loaves and two fishes that fed thousands and thousands of people. He walked on the water. He raised the dead. You know, as, as, as the Jews said when they were saying, is this God? They said, well, if, if this is not the Messiah, what else would the Messiah do when he comes? He's done all these works. They bore witness of him. But also, the Father bore witness to him all through the Old Testament scriptures, all through the prophets. 
Everything was pointing to Jesus. I read somewhere recently that there are 332 prophecies concerning Jesus just in his first coming. Every one of them fulfilled. The likelihood of just eight of those being fulfilled is astronomical. But when you get to 332, you, you can hardly compute it on a calculator or whatever. It's one to the, you know, whatever. It means nothing to us. It's just so remote, all these prophecies coming to pass. And yet God bore witness of Jesus, so there'll be no doubt when he came, this is the Messiah. Now that should encourage us to be faithful in our witness. To learn from Jesus is not important whether we are in the minority or even if we are believed. The question is, are we saying what God is saying in his word? We, we are called to be faithful to presenting Jesus in the word of God, to proclaim him. Nothing's changed. God has a very simple strategy. Preach God's word, trust God's spirit. And he builds his church. Amen. Then they said to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. These words spoke Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple and no one laid hands on him for his hour had not come. So when they said, where is your father? This was probably implying that he was illegitimate, you see, because, you know, Jesus was born or, or Mary conceived Jesus before Joseph and Mary were married. So all the rumors were going around. Um, either Mary committed fornication with another man that was going around. We read that there. Or Joseph and Mary had sex before marriage. As the Texans put it, they ate supper before they said grace. That's what the, these rumours were circulating, you know. In fact, in this chapter, we'll see this next time, in, in verse 41, we won't get there this, this morning. But they said, you do the deeds of your father. So, so Jesus said that to them, you do the deeds of your father, talking about the devil. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We were not born of fornication. We have one Father, God. But Jesus' response to all this is, you don't know anything about my Father. You don't know anything about my Father. And all this took place in the most public place in Jerusalem, in, in the temple court, the, the court of the women, which was right in front of the temple where there were, there were 13 big chests where people would come and bring their gifts and their offerings to God and put them there. It was all open. It was, it was a very open space and yet no one could arrest him because his time had not come. We've seen this over and over again that, that God was sovereign. Jesus would not go at their time. He would go at the Father's time and that time had not yet come. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Now just notice that for a moment. That's in the singular. You will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. 
I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. Plural. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now, just got to stop there a moment and say that they were engaging in the most dangerous of activities. They were hardening their hearts. Hardening is a very dangerous thing to do that. You know, there's a difference between asking questions to know the truth and asking questions to find a reason not to believe. And we notice that they'd continuously try to trap Jesus, catch him out in his words, set him up and all that sort of thing. And they were hardening their hearts. They were doing it here again. They were picking on everything he said and turning it into an argument. That's what we call the hardening of the hearts. Now, now, why is it dangerous? Because we see from the scriptures that there could come a time when if people persist in hardening their hearts, in the end, God will harden their hearts. God is sovereign. And, and he can do that. He did that with Pharaoh. Some people say, oh, God, I hardened Pharaoh's heart. You can't blame him. No, if you check the, the word of God, Pharaoh continuously hardened his heart until God said, now I will harden your heart. So it's kind of like he reached a point of no going back. In fact, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that, that uh, God had given people up to a reprobate mind. Wow, that's a very serious thing. You know what that means? It means a mind void of judgment. A mind that doesn't have the ability to decide what's right and what's wrong in the end. It's reached this point of... You know what, I, I kind of think, and I've got to be careful what I say here, but I, I kind of wonder whether this age has almost come there, where, where people are calling right wrong and wrong right. And you don't need me to give you examples of when that's happening and how that's happening and, and even how it's happening at the very highest level in government. And, and if you were to challenge it, you, you would be accused of committing a crime and could end up in trouble with the law. You, you, you think... No, what you're saying is just not true. So obvious that it's not true. But they can't see it. Because for so long they didn't want to see it. They wouldn't see it. Now they can't see it. It's reached a point of, 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 of being like of having a reprobate mind, a mind void of judgment. Very dangerous. And so the, the Jews were, the leaders, I mean, were heading that way. Heading in that direction. Now, Jesus said, I'm going away. You remember previously when he said that, they thought he was planning to go to the Greeks on a mission. They said, will he go to the Gentiles? He said, he's going away. Does that mean he's going to the Gentiles? Now they think he's contemplating suicide. Will he kill himself? He said, where I go, you cannot come. The Jews of Jesus' time taught that the lowest levels of Hades were for those who committed suicide. So Basically, what they were saying is, has he had enough? Is he so discouraged that we're not responding and that we're contending with him that he's going to take his life and go to the lowest parts where we can't even go? The lowest parts of Hades. Jesus spoke of dual destinies of himself and his opponents. He would return to the Father. That's what he was saying. Where I'm going, you cannot come. I will go to the Father. You cannot come there. But they would die in their sins. If we believe Jesus on earth, we will follow him to heaven. He is the way. Amen? He's the way, the truth, and the life. And if we believe on him here, 
we will go with him. Where he is, there we will be also. That's what he said. That's what he promised. If we have no desire to know him on earth, what would make us think we would follow him to heaven? We will die in our sins. That's what Jesus said. There are some people who believe in what we call universalism, that everyone will be saved, but that's not what the Bible teaches. Some will go this way and others will go that way. Amen? There's no ground in Scripture to say that everyone will be saved. In fact, we need a new nature to go to heaven. We need to be born again. Jesus said, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. There's no sin in heaven. We have a, so so we're, we're freed of that sin nature. We have a righteousness nature that fits us for heaven. Okay, let's look at this thing then. It says, uh, if they remained in darkness, they would die in their sins. That's what Jesus said. First of all, remember, he used the singular. They would die in their sin. That expresses the root sin of unbelief. That's the root sin. Jesus said, when he has come, that's the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin, singular, and of righteousness and of judgment. Of, of, then he says, of sin, okay, explaining it now, because they do not believe in me. That's the sin. Okay, so it's the greatest sin because it's the only unforgivable sin. All other sins can be forgiven. All other sins, except the sin of unbelief. Why? Because we have no saviour. If we don't believe in him, how can we be forgiven? We don't have a saviour to forgive us. And so therefore, we will die in our sins, plural. Then we have to give an account for all those things we've done and to do it without a saviour. To believe in Jesus, though, is to know him as our sin bearer, the one who has borne away our sins. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of, of the world. Amen? Notice also he says, if you do not believe that I am he, but if you check the, the scripture, the word he is in italics. So if you do not believe that I am, constantly Jesus was using the very sacred name of God himself, the the. The, the, the name that God gave by self-revelation to Moses. I am that I am in the burning bush. The God who was and is and always will be. So there's another claim to deity. All the way through John's gospel, we're seeing Jesus completely, uh, boldly claim that he was the son of God. God manifest in the flesh. And that in believing in him, we would have everlasting life. Okay, so the one who persists in rejection of Christ will die in his sins, unpardoned, unprepared to meet God, unfit for heaven. Every person must go to his own place. Remember they said that about Judas? He's gone to his own place, the place for which he is fitted. It's the new birth, only the new birth, not our works, not our performance, not our behavior. It's the new birth that fits us for heaven. Jesus said to, to Peter, Simon Peter, oh, sorry, Simon Peter said to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Because now by John 13, this is about the day before he went to the cross. He said, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me 
now. To the Jews, he said, where I'm going, you cannot follow me. You're going to a different place. But to Peter, he said, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. I go to prepare a place for you. Those who die in their sins will be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. So very clearly, there are de two de dual destinies. Those who believe in Jesus go with him to heaven. Those who do not believe in him do not go there. Then they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said, just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. Just as the Father taught me, I speak these things, and he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things which please him, that please him. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus was preaching the gospel right to the end. Jesus had told them repeatedly who he was, yet they continued to ask, who are you anyway? They didn't want to know the truth. They wanted to set a trap for him. This is the leaders. He repeated what he had been saying all along. We don't need to give new answers to those who reject the truth. Amen. There's no plan B. If people get into arguments with you and they bring up this and they bring up that, the gospel is still the gospel. You must be born again. Whoever believes in him has everlasting life. Don't go to any, don't go down any rabbit holes and start getting into arguments, you know. Just keep preaching the truth. That's what saves people. The answer to the question, who are you, would be displayed, Jesus said, when he was lifted up on the cross. That's when the veil was rent and his glory was revealed. We do not know Jesus until we know him as Christ crucified for our sins. That's Jesus in all his glory, coming down as the Son of Man, dying for the whole of humanity, taking our sin to the cross, bearing its shame and guilt and punishment and wrath there, dealing with it and saying, it's finished. That's the glory of Jesus. God revealed him to us on the cross. When, when Jesus was crucified, they would see the perfect obedience of the Son to the Father. And as he spoke these words, many did believe in him. Now, I just want to say this because I, I said something earlier on which was pretty sobering, and, and it's this, that there, that there comes a time when God gives people over to a reprobate mind. Now, God is full of mercy, he's full of compassion, he's full of patience with people. And, and what we need to know is that right up to the end, until when Jesus was on the cross, he was reaching out. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Now, they were not forgiven then. That was a prayer. The only way that people are forgiven is by believing the gospel. And when you go to Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when, when the Holy Spirit was poured out and Peter preached that gospel message so powerfully, he was talking to the ones 
that crucified Jesus. He said, you crucified the Prince of Life. But I know you did it ignorantly. Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And I said, what should we do? Men and brethren, what should we do? Repent and be baptized. That prayer was answered. You see it again in chapter 3. It's a similar thing. The same people that put Jesus on the cross, God was still reaching out to them with the gospel. And, and while the light is in the world, and you are the light of the world, I am the light of the world, then people can still come out of darkness into light. We don't know what's happening in people's lives. Some people may be so hardened that God has given them over, but we don't know that. We don't presume that. And we, we just keep preaching and loving them and reaching out to them because God is able to save to the uttermost. Look what he did with Paul. He was the, the greatest enemy of the gospel. He became the greatest ambassador for Christ. That's the grace of God, dear friends. That's the grace of God. The only time when it's too late is when we've left this world. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for your word and we thank you as we see the love of Jesus so clearly reaching out even to his enemies right up to the end. We thank you that this is your love on display. And we pray that that love will continually be on display through us, your people who are now the light of the world. Lord, that we will let the light of the salvation of Jesus shine through us wherever we are, that we'll point people to salvation in Jesus and that we'll see many, many coming to him in these days, these closing days of time. We ask it, Lord, in his wonderful name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.